0: And Carol Crenshaw. They are the authors of wonderful new book and it combines two of my favorite methods. It it combines using meditation and EFT. EFT for meditation. And they are long term meditators. And when they encountered EFT, they looked for a way of bringing the two together. They've also been training people for a long time, and they're experienced in training people, and they're also going to be doing EFT training shortly. So I'd like to welcome you warmly to the show, Charles and Carol, and thank you so much for being there and for writing this wonderful book. Thank you.
1: Thank you for inviting us,
0: Dawson. When did it first occur to you to combine EFT and meditation?
1: Well, we practiced meditation for many, many years before we learned EFT. We already knew that things come up from the unconscious when you meditate, and it creates static, it creates a little disturbance sometimes while you're clearing it out, and until you get back to a state of balance, uh, it could be a little bit challenging. So when we learned EFT, it was such a natural connect. That's a way that you could clear those things out in a fraction of the time, and go back to smooth sailing, but without repressing it, you're dealing with it, but you're clearing it out of system, and you're doing it at such a faster rate than, than you could do just with meditation. On the other hand, the EFT practice, we noticed when we started doing it, it deepened our meditation. It deepened our meditation because there was more peacefulness from clearing things out. So they seem to support each other. And the EFT was easier to do because we had years of meditation and we had a certain level of awareness already. So they were a perfect match in the business. that. Makes,
0: there. That makes sense because I know many people, that's the big obstacle to meditation. They sit down, they close their eyes, they get quiet, and their minds are full of all the things that then disturb their thinking. Being able to tap those things away is a really powerful benefit when you start meditating. meditate.
1: Yes, and a lot of people quit because they don't have any tool to use. They don't have anyone to guide them. They don't have any way to guide themselves. perfect way to sustain a meditation practice.
2: And so I think, uh, Dawson, actually when we met, I think that I had mentioned about the fact that we were joining in your wonderful research and stuff that you have done because we saw the benefit to our meditation practice. And then what we did was that we, in reading one of the texts, for the EFT training, we found in the acknowledgments one of our, in the circles, is called Guru Brother. And his name is Dr. Martin Jerry, and there are acknowledgments in the promise of energy psychology. And we contacted him to follow up with him about his background with EFT. And he and his wife and uh, one of our mentors, they wrote a book called The Chariot of Sadhana. And in there, they begin the development of the use of these psycho technologies, they called them, but EFT and other things to help serious meditation practitioner to develop. So when we when we saw all these connections we were doubly excited because it seems since EFT is based in the energy system in yoga it's called prana, and in traditional Chinese medicine it's called qi, but it's based in this and the doctors Jerry and our mentor, uh Sami called it related to or knowledge of the energy sheath, knowledge of the sheath of chi, which is part and parcel of the tradition of uh, internal work that's related to meditation and other practices.
0: Yes. And then you also explain in the book how whatever style of meditation you're using that you can apply EFT to it. Go ahead and share with us what the styles you cover and how to use EFT with them.
2: The idea of styles, the term styles is more of a, a Western presentation. Everybody is based upon their learning style, if you will, based upon their innate tendency, will gravitate towards a specific thing. Everybody, all the meditation traditions, deal with the breath. Each and every one. There's not a one that doesn't. And that's groundwork. But then some people are visual. And mandalas and and yantras and things like this. And then some are mantra. And Carol could talk to you forever about, about mantra and sound. And all of these different things, though, comes back down to the point of How am I going to concentrate on that mantra or that yantra or that mandala or the breath? And what are the things that are going to prevent me? The stumbling blocks that are universal, that EFT helps you to get through those things. Oh, I don't want to do this because I had a bad childhood, things like this. Things that we know EFT can help us clear out of our system. So anything you want to add to that, Carol?
1: Those are the basics of when you use EMT, there's different te- techniques, too, just like in meditation, and everyone has certain personalities and tendencies and affinities, and everyone seems to find the niche in the aspects of the practice that work for them, and that's fine because it's just realistic that everyone's path would be a little bit different. The uh, as, a, as a case
2: in point, we could give a global, okay, everybody visualize a rose, just of picking something ad hoc. And some people would have no problem with that. An artist would just have a <laughs> yeah. field day. Someone who was not very visually oriented, they would have a hard time. And it would be a distraction for them trying to visualize a road. Whereas if they listen to a sound, if they get something kinesthetic like salt the breath, that would be it. So the styles are related there. And some of the classic texts, yogic and Buddhist, and actually, that's a misnomer, too, because Buddhist is yogic. So in any case, in the tradition, there's thousands upon thousands of ways to practice meditation. A simple thing of, of eating a lovely piece of fruit, and at the moment you eat it and you recognize, uh, I always think about a Georgia peach, a good Georgia peach. This, you taste it and there's this ecstasis, and it says, stop right there, go to the source of the ecstasis, and you're there. You're at the point of complete absorption In the nature of reality, stay there. A simple technique, but still the problem comes. How do you train yourself to be ready
0: for those kind of things? It really um, struck me, as you've been talking here, that uh, you're right, the breath is common to most of those traditions. And the other thing that never really occurred to me before, but is so valuable insight, is that we know that people have different learning styles, and there are people who are highly visual, but there are people who are auditory, there are people who are verbal, and people who are kinesthetic. I guess what I never really put these two together before but that's why there are so many different kinds of meditation because for some people that sound will be the thing that is most meaningful to them because that's their learning style or the primary information processing style for another person it's, it's visual or verbal or mental i've never really connected the dots there before i really appreciate you for, for drawing that, that those parallels there i just never thought of it in those terms before
1: uh, we know from our own experience, because when I started meditation, my focus was on mantra. I was really drawn to the sound. It was very simple for me. And because I was starting in a place that wasn't exactly balanced and quiet, uh, it really helped me slow down very quickly. And Charles started out more with breath, cause he was really drawn to that. And it was easy for him, natural for him, being a singer and slowly over the years i started doing more work with breath and he started doing more work with mantra and we started to see that different elements were important to create the right balance at different times but you absolutely need to start with as the easiest entry point for yourself
0: yeah and another and then, of thing course, and you use, then, that
1: use them every so point
2: one thing that we know from you know things like nlp and stuff like that is is that when you have access to all of your sensory channels and you can coordinate all of them, then that's the most healthy and balanced perspective versus, yes, going to that one, but then expanding so all of your sensory apparatus are involved in taking in experience and dealing with experience. And oftentimes problems occur as you know, as you've written about with eye movements and things like this in the manuals. They occur when you go to one place with eye movements and things like this and you, do, and you, can't, you can't stay at that place or you skip it. Those are places in the brain where we are uh, connecting with a certain sensory channel and we're negating it and we have to involve that. To me, the meditation masters, they understood all of these things intuitively and we have come along now with science And I love the way that you have brought the science to bear in the new third edition of the manual, science to bear on these things because one of the things that was involved in our training, Carol and ours, we were trained by scientists, yogis, psychiatrists, philosophers, and our training was to, our mandate was develop ways to explain to the Western scientific materialistic mind that these, these secrets of the inner world are replicable by anybody who does them. And that's the lovely thing about EFT. You don't have to believe it. You
1: do it, and it works. (laughs) And it can be scientifically shown that it works. For example, the research on lowering cortisol levels in just a couple of minutes yeah, that that you that you
2: you know you've uh, done the research on and and, and uh, colleagues and and the same things with the same things with meditation. We we have used we say meditation is good for say hypertension. Well, in point of fact, I challenged that with my teacher who had capacity, who had full control over his autonomic nervous system, complete control. He could manifest cancerous tumors and dissolve them. So full control. And he said he said, well, Sonny, he said it's just relaxation, just relaxation can can solve hypertension and I like you Dawson I hooked people up and I had them do what I thought was going to work and, and all these different things and all those things did was to increase the tension in a person's body and when I when I did exactly what he said just a relaxation exercise a specific one but just a simple relaxation exercise and that one thing produced the results these scientific Explanation of these things is wonderful for our western mind. And the fascinating thing is that it's just so simple, but uh, we often have to make it so complex.
0: Yes, yeah, and simple as you can make it, and then what you emphasize is find your every point and practice. I think that the more you practice, the more you shift. I know I was looking at one case history this morning of an Australian journalist, and he was one of those skeptics. He was one of those guys who was like, he's like a, a, a very manly man. He didn't believe in all the city meditation stuff, and uh, he was really focused on his career. He's a TV journalist, and he was challenged to do a eight-week mindfulness meditation course and he thought well let's see if there's anything to this mindfulness meditation thing I'll do the course but before he did he was analyzed by a team of scientists at Monash University and they ran a whole battery of cognitive tests on him as well as putting him through extensive physiological testing including doing MRI volumetric and every part of his brain so they measured all the each of the four lobes of the brain they measured the the um, the volume of substructures within the brain and then they once he got through this whole battery of tests he got the results and he began to be practice after about two weeks he reported being calmer he was no longer having spells of road rage he was having stress at work better and he really began to notice the shifts by week two. By week eight, he felt he'd shifted dramatically, went back into Monash and did his brain scans again, and in a part of the hippocampus called the dentate gyrus, part of the hippocampus that is part of the emotional midbrain, that's responsible for emotional regulation in other parts of the brain, they found that his dentate gyrus in eight weeks, now I'm going to take a deep breath when I say this, because I mean the results are so absolutely unbelievable. Just, this is like mind-boggling to say this number, but his dentate gyrus, The volume of neural tissue in his dentate gyrus had grown by 23%. Okay, That's a quarter growth. In eight weeks, it had grown by that much. But with mindfulness meditation, he had literally changed the the neurological composition regulation of this part of his brain in just eight weeks. I mean, it's that powerful. We think of it as being mental training. We think of it as being physiological training. And and you've emphasized the importance of physiological regulation. But what happens is as we use those circuits, they get bigger and bigger and bigger in our brains. Carol, you were mentioning something that... People often report, and they, they, they say that when they sit down to meditate at first, as though nothing seems to be happening, they're closing their eyes and sitting there and they're not feeling any any big shift. What, what do you uh, say to students like that?
1: Right. It's so common. Well, I, first I explain to people that meditation is a very subtle process. And you can't measure it like you could measure worldly achievement. You could study for tests and get an A. You could practice a sport and get proficient at it. And you could concretely see the results. When you practice meditation, it's always change and deepening, but it's a very subtle process and it's very hard to see just in one sitting. In fact, sometimes when you sit and you feel like World War III is going on, you're just at rest and you can't settle down and all your unconscious is flooding your unconscious mind and people call that a bad meditation, but I've learned from decades of experience. In fact, that's your most helpful meditation, because that's when things are purifying and coming out at a fast fast rate, and it's really a boon for your practice. When it passes, you feel very different, you feel very peaceful. But in the meantime, what are people going to do? Because a lot of people will give up if they don't see some kind of result. What I suggest to people is study two things. One, study your greater sense of ease in going deeper. When I first started to meditate, it took me many minutes to regulate my breath and settle down. And then over time, I could close my eyes and get there to that state much more quickly. So check how you're progressing in terms of when you start meditating and how long it takes you to go inward. And even if it's a slow progression, you will see progress. The other thing is to watch how things change in your life and often other people will notice it more than you will. For example, you're afraid of something. Like, I had a real fear of getting up in front of people and speaking, and I was fine in the classroom because I've always been a teacher. But when you put me in another situation, my heart would pound, and I, it was very hard, and it would pass in a few minutes, but it was very difficult. And over time with meditation, I noticed that it shifted on its own. And I said, Well, what was I so afraid of before? I didn't, I didn't know, but at the time it was a really big deal. And if you start to study that, you see that you're calmer, you're less reactive. Things that frighten you don't bother you. Things uh, like changing a career or doing something more courageous is easier for you to do. You become a better listener, more compassionate. There's so many ways that you can see change. Even something simple like your breath rate. How many times do you breathe a minute? So if you really start paying attention on a subtler level and even on a grosser level, but with a different eye for looking at what's happening, there is change taking place. You might not see it in a day or a week, but in a month, in six months, in a year, in five years, ten years, twenty years, you notice very, very significant changes in your state of being. It's yeah, really I know the, issue the- to that. The simple fact of the the key thing
2: with the breath, just, just seeing how the breath and being aware of your breath, that's actually the major tool of mindfulness. If a person just did that, if they're aware of their breath, what the qualities were of the breath, simply, and then that's going to make them slow down and decide, okay, I'm going to pick up this box of tissue, and they're going to do it paying attention versus just haphazardly and knocking over papers and things like this. Those kind of things come into play, simple things. But that's actually mindfulness and is actually the thing that Carol said that happened that you don't see day one, but you have to give it. The teacher always said at least six months. If six months you see nothing, then you're either doing it wrong, insincere, or it's not for you. But it's for everybody.
1: And when it's you, for everybody yes. if you do it according to comfortable capacity. When I started meditating, I was very hyperactive, and five minutes was plenty for me. Five minutes came ten and twenty and so on. It, it expanded without any conscious effort to do it more. If you just start with a couple of minutes and work with the breath, It becomes so much easier because you're not pressuring yourself to accomplish something early on that you're not going to accomplish right away. Actually, all you need is two minutes. Two minutes. Anybody have two minutes? If you tell me you don't have two minutes, I have to say,
2: now, that's not accurate. Two minutes. Just sit down, be still, be quiet for two minutes, and see the effect, and let the thing expand from there. You don't have to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to be here uh, like the great sages and sit here for six hours unmoving. No, two minutes. Two minutes just being still. Don't do anything. Listeners, sit down. Two minutes. Be still, don't do anything, and you will notice an effect. If you don't, if you're on medications, deep medication, stuff like this, okay, well, then we can't override those things, but two minutes of just being still. Sit down, be still, be aware that you are breathing, you will notice something there.
1: In fact, one of our most respected teachers used to say, it's more beneficial to stop every couple of hours, breathe, and go inward for two minutes than it is even to sit and meditate once a day for a longer time. Because we accumulate so much stress and tension physically and mentally during the day. When you stop, like Charles said, two minutes, you go, oh, I didn't realize I was getting so worked up. And you could really calm it down an incredible amount in that sort of period of time.
0: One thing I like about the book, too, is the way at the beginning of the book, you have a quick start guide. Immediately, you get people into meditation. Just within the first chapter of EFT Meditation in your book, you have people explore meditation and get that that initial experience of it because again once you have the experience of it and how it can make you feel so much calmer so much more centered that will motivate you to do more of it yes
1: yes absolutely experience is so important you can talk from now until doomsday but if you don't have the experience you don't get it there was a famous book that said talk does not cook the rice
0: Yeah, and that's so so worth knowing. So I encourage you to take a look at Charles and Powell's book, EFT for Meditation. Check it out on Amazon, EFT for Meditation, and go to that Quick Start Guide, try it at the very beginning, and feel the kinds of shifts that happen in your body. I'd like you to share now with us, Charles and Carol, some of the research into the changes that meditation does produce because there's been an explosion of research into meditation over the last two decades, and research shows it has profound effects on your body. What are some of those those effects?
2: Well, one of the interesting things is one study has shown that cortical thickness increases just the gray matter thickens from the practice of meditation. I thought that was fascinating when I read it. And um, the whole process of breathing, which is associated with it, one of the things about the breath is is that it's, it's actually, if you pay attention, putting you in contact with the limbic system, a major, a major emotional center in ourselves. The control of the breath is helping us to control and touch hypothalamus, hippocampus, those things indirectly through the movement of the breath and other things. Like, Carol found uh, several research things on helping kids with their education. in the the
1: There's one study of of college students, and their grade point average, they had a weekly study group, and they used to meditate for 10 minutes of that study group, and the control group just had the study group, and the grade point averages of the students with meditation, even though it was sort of brief, were significantly higher. And not only that, but the higher grade point average continued through... semesters so there was quite a big carryover effect just from the couple of months of that study
2: well it it seems logical I mean if you consider that meditation is a, a prerequisite for meditation is concentration and if you improve your concentration skills the things that require concentration like education taking tests and stuff like this you see improvement in those things, and, and that doesn't take a whole lot of research for a person to figure out. They do it, practice it, oh, I'm getting better grades because my ability to concentrate is greater. You know, we don't even need to go to the lab for that. But. Some of the parameters, there was one interesting study related to, again, the breath. Again the breath is the foundation and I remember calling one of my professors who taught alongside Dr. Rudolph Valentine, who you know, Dawson, but one of our professors, Dr. Don Clark, who is very much interested in EFT and uses it in his work, he's a cardiologist and asking him about a research study that he told us about where doctors took 20,000 outpatients and they looked at their breath. Every pathology had a breathing pattern and in the science of yoga from which we're coming from, it says if you modify your conscious breathing pattern, thereby also affecting your brain you could theoretically alter the breathing pattern of the pathology and in turn alter the pathology Not a whole lot different than what research you've done, Dawson, in looking at how gene expression can be modified through tapping, same thing can happen with the practice of meditation by way of working with the breath. The ancients said there's an ax in the mind follows the breath, breath follows the mind. These are the things that we actually are seeing with what's now become known as mindfulness-based stress reduction, which are just these tools marketed with this name, but they're still the tools from the science related to meditation because it, as we have been taught it, it is a science. It's replicable You just need to go to the lab, which is your own human body, and do the experiments, And you will verify what everybody else before you has verified, every serious scientist. The other (laughs) interesting
1: thing is that today there are so many wonderful tools, like brain scans, so you can see what part of the brain lights up. I remember when I did my thesis for my masters. It was on the effect of meditation on work attitudes. And it was very hard to find any psychological tests that could really measure what I was looking for. The test was too crude. Today we have much better measurement instruments, so we could go a lot further with scientific evidence.
0: You know, Carol, I just finished recently a data gathering process of a four-day meditation workshop, and I was looking at gene expression before and after the workshop, and I was using salivary tests. So I wasn't using blood tests. And you can get a certain number of genes and assess them with saliva and see how gene expression is changing over time. You can't get as many as you can with a blood sample, but you can get a subset of human genes. And we found that over the course of the four-day meditation workshop that eight genes changed significantly, uh, genes that had to do with the suppression of three different kinds of cancers were upregulated. These are genes that help your body identify, tag, and destroy cancer cells. And they were colon cancer, they were throat cancer, and they were prostate and breast cancer. And a particular gene that helps prostate and breast cancer, we found so often in that four days of meditation, people had significant shifts and upregulation of those genes. They also had upregulation of genes that have to do with metabolism and also with helping cells regenerate themselves. And Again, literally measuring gene expression changes over the course of just four days of meditation intensives. Uh, now we do have those tools. Again, yeah, that, that's a really expensive, elaborate study. But as, as you were saying earlier, Charles, that you don't need a an EEG or an MRI or a gene test to show you that that you're changing. You can tell that your concentration is improving, that your cognitive performance is improving. All of these things shift after meditation.
2: Yes, and and that was the that was the thing that the yogis and the uh, Dalai Lama they're saying, hey, look, you know, hook up. To the machines show the people these wonderful tools that the humanity has so that we can use them because lord knows we need a lot of raising of consciousness on the planet so we can balance things out
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah we do and it's so encouraging now that people like the Dalai lama are facilitating research and the researchers are diving in being able to get the funding and do the research and publish that research in peer-reviewed journals in the book as well charles and carol you talk about the the goal of meditation, about the end state of meditation in the form of mystical states, having a spiritual practice where you actually are able to shift from your attachment to the material world, things going on around you, and have that experience of being one with all that is, one with the universe. Go ahead and share with us where those mystical states come from, what they're all about, what role they play in meditation, and how we move toward them.
2: Well, one simple thing is this, is that every day, each and every one of us touch this state that seems so transcendent so far away and that state is deep dreamless sleep we are at the goal of meditation when we're there and the secret is is that there is no mind as we know it there the mind is a divisive factor one of the things in meditation is we come to understand this thing that we say we understand but we don't even the psychiatrist psychologists don't understand the mind ones who do understand the mind understand themselves guaranteed they are meditators these the greatest psychologists greatest psychiatrists were the mystics the great meditators who understood their mind forward and backward this high state is just a state where we recognize that when we set our true nature up against something else then there is suffering and as soon as we stop doing that and abide where we are in deep dreamless sleep, and that can be done while you're awake. And one example of that is is that one of our mentors, Swami Veda Bharati, at the Noetic Science Institute, was sitting with Dr. Radin and not that delta is the be all and end all of uh, brainwave activity. We know, as you know in your research, Dawson, and all the various levels. But he's having a conversation with Dr. Raiden and his brainwaves, steady delta. Deep dreamless sleep. Now the other refractory things we will we can't mention because they're there. But I'm pretty sure that while I'm talking to you right now, my brainwave activity is not in delta. I'm, I'm almost pretty sure of that because I've been hooked up to 54-pin EEG. <laughs> We're trying to understand the transcendent is already with us. We're using meditation as a tool to, as they say in Zen, to wipe the dust off the mirror. The mirrors our true nature we're just using to wipe the dust off when the dust is off we see its pristine beauty that's the transcendent that's the cosmic that's the be all and end all of the practice of meditation meditation is for beginners <laughs> there are people yeah, who are on the planet who were in the state that i've spoken of 24 7 they interacted with the people they lived in the world they were they're considered the great sages and saints
0: yeah, and to access that state in the waking state is, is very powerful. To integrate that sense of being one with the all that is in the waking state is, is, is powerful. I've actually done EEGs and meditators, and I've seen their delta flare way out. In fact, I'm going to post some soon on the EFT Universe website, and we see the person's delta double in the course of a session, so it produces a powerful effect. We know that meditation is good for us. It has all of these benefits for us in our lives, in our bodies. But like when I do workshops and I ask people who here has read a meditation book, been to a meditation class, everyone raises their hand. Then I say, who has a daily practice of meditation? And everyone looks down and studies the wood grain on the floor. And two people raise their hands. Uh (laughs) Why is that? Why is it so hard?
1: People get distracted for various reasons. I say underneath it all, one, you need a system. A lot of people teach themselves from books, and when you teach yourself from books, you don't necessarily have a system that will click with, and that really is a system. It might be pieces of this or that that don't hold together, so the person gets discouraged. Number two, people really need uh, some kind of inner drive to do it, even if it's just two minutes and initially we are swimming against the grain because our society is very materialistic and outward and we're trying to stop and go inward and unconsciously we're kind of programmed to that we're wasting our time we're not getting anything accomplished when you sit and meditate people get involved with their families with their work and other things and lots of excuses come up it's easy to come up with excuses to hundreds of them that your mind can come up with so the best thing to do if you're really serious about establishing a practice is one start with that 2 minute meditation and as you enjoy it you say well maybe I'll do 3 minutes and then you get 3 minutes established and you say well this is Pleasant, and I'm seeing shifts. maybe I'll do five minutes, maybe I'll do ten minutes. So it grows if you start with the amount of time that works for you. Our teacher used to say, meditate for a few minutes a day. I heard him use that phrase probably hundreds of times. He never said sit for 20 minutes, sit for an hour, sit for a few minutes a day. That's a way to trick your mind. Mine is Part of your mind wants to do it, part of your mind doesn't. So the part of your mind that wants to do it has to trick the other part a little bit. So the amount of time is one tool. Another tool is what time of day will work for you. For me personally, I have to get my practice done before I leave the house because the day is very busy, and who knows what's going to come up I didn't anticipate. And that's true with many people. You give yourself five minutes extra in the morning, which isn't that hard. You could get the practice in. And go about your business and know that it's done. But if you tell yourself you'll do it later in the day and things come up, you could get knocked off the plan totally and never get done. And then you go to bed with the feeling of, I didn't accomplish what I set out to accomplish, and you get more discouraged. So short time and finding the time of day that works for you and finding the practice that you have a, an affinity for, which we talked about earlier in this program today. You know, and another thing is that when they
2: can see all the good research that's been done and that's going on, and then it comes back to what a, a great sage, the Buddha, said, was we. it's very easy for us to do what is harmful to ourselves. It's very difficult to do what is good for ourselves. If we remember that, and remember, okay, it's going to take some effort. It's going to take a little bit of effort for me to do something that is going to be and it says this in the ancient text, too, something that's painful in the beginning but pleasant at the end. And most of the world is directed at what's pleasant now and that it ends up being less pleasant in the end. We need to kind of regroup. That's why the the resources that you have, the resources that are in the books, putting yourself in the milieu that can help, you, help support you with your practices and things like that, that's what keeps you going unless you are particularly gifted, you know, particularly gifted. I read a book. I started practicing. I didn't need anybody's help. I didn't need help till I, till I was six years in. Then I found my teacher. If you're particularly gifted, then fine. But if not, then have yourself in the milieu that supports you. And the the, the benefits of doing the practice outweigh sitting on the sideline going, well, maybe tomorrow, which we hear all the time. <laughs> um, no, well, I don't have time today. Okay.
1: <laughs> People say, this. oh, this is really hard. And we... Totally agree with that. It is hard. It's simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. You have to have some inner drive to do it, and it's hard at the beginning, but like Charles said, it gets easier, and you start to see the pleasant results with that initial effort, and that starts to make it worthwhile and create its own momentum. So it It does become easier and easier, and you look forward to doing it, If you are established in the practice and you can't do your regular practice, you're traveling or something, you really miss it. It feels like something very, very significant in your life is not happening that day. And that's when you really have shifted from making that great effort to practice to making that great effort to avoid distractions so you could do your practice. Well, I'm so
0: glad you've helped us focus on that in this wonderful new book, EFT Meditation. Charles and Carol, thank you. Your hearts are apparent there. You share your own journeys. You share the journeys. And it's been so inspiring to hear your perspective and also to have this picture of how simple and how profoundly helpful it can be. And thank you for your wonderful book, EFT Meditation. Thank you. Thank you, Dawson. Again, you can check it out at, on Amazon, EFT Meditation by Charles and Carol Crenshaw.